Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Well, hello, everybody. It's The Past and the Curious. It's episode 83. My name is Mick Sullivan. I'm very happy that this is here, that you're here, and I'm talking to you in your ears. This is great. We're all together again. Uh, Cool thing that's happening if you're in the Kentucky area. Uh, The Kentucky Book Fair is October 21st in Lexington at Joseph Beth Booksellers. I will be there. So if you're anywhere in the vicinity and you want to come say hey, uh, I'll be there with the meat shower and uh, I see Lincoln's underpants or just come by and say hey, I'd love to see you. And hey, this is a really fun episode. These stories about walking and people on long walks uh, was really fun to put together. And it just so happened that I found more walking stories than I knew what to do with. So we're going to call this part one, and actually in a short period of time, more quickly than I would have another episode available for you, probably in like a week or 10 days, you're going to get part two in your feed. So without further ado, let's take a walk. Part one. Have you ever had a pair of squeaky shoes? I have. In fact, right now, I have a pair of shoes where the left one makes a soft but plainly audible squeak with every single step that I take. It's annoying. But otherwise, I really like the shoes, so I still wear them sometimes. Maybe if I wore the squeaker sneakers every day, I wouldn't notice the sound anymore. Maybe I'd tune it out. I think in some ways that if someone does the exact same thing every day, the exact same way for a long period of time, they might not even notice the constant regular things anymore, like squeaky shoes. Instead, they tune them out and focus on completely different things. And if this is true, there's still no way to understand what one very squeaky Connecticut man focused on in the midst of his movement routine to end all movement routines. Let's hope that he could tune out his constantly squeaky clothes, because the leather man, as he came to be known, was sure doing a whole lot of walking. There was a lot of beauty to see in Connecticut and New York State in the 1800s. Mountains, rivers, small towns, growing cities, carefully cultivated farms galore. And hidden in the hills, still today, are a handful of caves, too. 
You can imagine why someone might like to spend a bit of time walking around to see it all once. Or twice. Or maybe they'd like to spend all of their time to see it dozens and dozens and dozens of times. In 1857, a nameless man made his first recorded appearance in the area between the Hudson River and the Connecticut River. No one knew him. No one heard him speak. Probably no one gave him much thought. But it was probably clear that he was a wanderer, just someone passing through. Maybe he had a destination, but maybe he didn't. In any case, he came and he went. Did you see the leather guy? <laughs> yeah, I heard him too. Leather guy? Oh yeah, it's the darndest thing. He had a leather jacket, leather pants, a leather hat. Heck, I think the only thing that wasn't leather were the soles of his shoes. Like a cool leather jacket from the future? No, just a bunch of scraps sewn together. The whole outfit was really squeaky. Ooh, maybe we should call him Squeaky Man. Over the next few years, Squeaky Patchwork Leather Guy would show up, not say anything to anyone, and pass on, heading off on his own mysterious, leathery way. He seemed kind enough, people figured. According to some reports, during these years, the earliest years of his recorded history, he was all over the place. He showed up in Massachusetts towns, took in the views in the Berkshire Mountains, and even walked his way far north into Canada. Wherever he was, though, he left as quickly as he came. In the years after the American Civil War, he became a bit more common to see in Connecticut and in the eastern part of New York State. And he wasn't alone. Lots of wandering men became common in many places in the years after the Civil War. More than a few of them were former soldiers who were finished with their time tramping through the country on regimental marches or riding on railroads or surveying the riverbanks from steamboat. And they had discovered that there was more to see of the world than their small hometowns. Work might come and go, so they committed to a life of wandering. Many were migrant workers but others became destitute with no way to pay for the cost of living. And many places were unwelcoming to these wanderers and passed laws forcing them to move along and not remain in these towns and cities. One such man who was not affected by these laws was old mystery squeaker patchworky leather breeches and jacket guy. He was becoming a common face to many, and he never meant any harm. He never really did much besides walk by, nod, occasionally grunt, and then disappear. This sort of behavior can get people to spread nasty rumors pretty quickly. You can imagine people making up terrible stories to fill in the gaps about who this strange man was, but almost everything that survives from the 1800s depicts a decent man being treated decently by people that he met. Mr. Occasional Appearance, Mystery Squeaker, Patchwork, Leather, Britches, and Jacket Guy is welcome in my town anytime. I always wonder when and if I'll see him again. I agree, but I think his name, while very descriptive, is getting too long. Can we shorten it? Sure, how's Mr. Squeaky? I don't think he'd like that. Let's call him the Old Leather Man. Oh, and you think he'd like that better? He's not even that old. Well, he won't tell anyone who he is, so... In the 1870s, people who had the chance to see the old leather man might have wondered if they'd ever see him again. But by the 1800s, there was never any question. 
because this brings us to the golden age of Old Leatherman's fascinating time on Earth. Between 1883 and 1889, the mysterious Leatherman was a constant in many people's lives, even while remaining in constant motion himself. He was so constant, in fact, that they could practically set their watch to his appearances. In those early years, it became clear that the quiet wanderer was repeating a loop through the countryside, stopping in regular towns like a game of Connect the Dots. It probably dawned on the first people slowly. They'd see him walk through town. Someone might give him something to eat. Often he'd refuse, though. Then about a month later, they'd see him again. Then a month later, they'd see him yet again. On and on it went. Rain or shine, even snow. It was the same story in Danbury, Saybrook, or Samford, Connecticut, as it was in White Plains, Ossining, and Peekskill, New York. He'd regularly show up and immediately disappear again. People began to write down the days and times that the old leather man made his way through their area. One Southern Connecticut resident observed Old Leathery walking down the street by his house every 34 days, and typically arriving within 30 minutes of the time of his last appearance, the peripatetic man was always coming from the east and always heading west. And everyone who took the time to document the arrival times found the same thing. He showed up on schedule, a big 34-day schedule. As you can imagine, people wanted to know more. Newspaper reporters tried to interview him. A few people followed him on portions of the journey. And when asked questions, the man typically never offered more than a few grunts. The few people who did hear him speak said he spoke to them in French. These people also discovered that his leather outfit was of his own making. He collected leather scraps on his travels, typically left over from bootmakers on his route. He'd stitch the bits together in a patchwork pattern. And along with a jacket and overalls and a hat, he also carried a leather bag, which often had food, a few tools, a pan for cooking. It was common for people to offer him something to eat, and sometimes he would accept, but oftentimes he would not. Many tried to give him money, but when that happened, the quiet old leather man would silently reach into a pocket and show them the money that he already had, indicating that he didn't need nor want the offering. This was perplexing to everyone. The route he settled into walking was 365 miles round trip. 30 or 40 towns grew to know and expect the man. They knew his face and the squeak of his outfit, but that was about all. For years and years and years, he'd show up right when they expected. Sometimes it was 32 days or 33 but usually it was 34 days. Kids would wait and watch. Grown-ups would bake a loaf of bread the day before so that they might offer it to him as he passed. But just like money, he didn't always need food. Many learned that along his circular route through Connecticut and New York, he had found a series of caves in which to sleep. And beside a few of these were gardens that he planted, which meant there would often be food waiting for him when he showed back up. One local newspaper claimed to have cracked the case and said he was a French man named Jules Bargolet. 
a man who had come to America with a broken heart and decided that the best salve for this broken heart was to silently walk and walk and walk. Except for the squeaks, of course. It was a false story, and within a few days, the editors of the paper admitted that they had made it up. They said that they, like everyone else, were fascinated by the man. But ultimately, they had no idea who he was or why he did what he did. No one ever figured it out. It's a mystery to this day. In 1888, Old Leatherman slowed down a bit and didn't seem to always make the 365-mile journey in the 34 days that he had been doing for so long. People also noticed that he had started using a cane and that there was something going on with his face. Researchers believe that he had a cancerous growth as a result of his tobacco use. One thing about being a regular is that people notice when you don't show up. And in March of 1889, when he failed to show up on day 34, people went looking for him. Townsfolk in Ossining, New York, knew which cave he made into a temporary home when he was nearby. And sure enough, they found him. He had passed away as a result of cancer. He was probably 50 years old. Wanting to honor him, but not completely sure how to do so, he was eventually buried in the area with a headstone placed above him, marking him as Jules Bargalay, which, as the newspaper tried to clear up, was not his actual name, as far as anyone could tell. Nevertheless, that false name was his only remnant for years. But in the 2000s, a researcher named Dan DeLuca led efforts to have the body moved, and above the remains was placed a new marker, simply reading, The Leather Man. It's fitting, perhaps, that in the afterlife he remains as mysterious as he did in his walking life. Despite never wanting to be close to anyone, he still made sure that he was seen and noticed every day. And people looked out for him. That was enough. Maybe this was the balance that he struck with his life. Maybe that's all he really wanted. Calling all kids in the car. Brittany and Meredith here from the chart-topping family road trip trivia podcast. Are you dreading another silent car ride with the fam? We've got the cure. Three rounds of fresh trivia every single week. Movies, music, even science and Disney. We've got something for every trivia buff in the car. No more crickets chirping on those long journeys. The Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast is your secret weapon for connecting and laughing with kids of all ages, teens, toddlers, adults, it doesn't matter. Spark their curiosity and challenge their brains with every episode. New episodes drop weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Search for the Family Road Trip Trivia Podcast and turn those car rides into epic adventures. We're the All Creatures Podcast. Each week, Angie and I explore and share amazing details about the many animals we share our world with. Plus, Chris and I are both PhD scientists and educators, so we do the deep dives in the scientific research and then come back and share what we learn in a fun and casual way. We also speak with other scientists, animal experts, activists, and many other conservation enthusiasts from all over the planet. So you can find the All Creatures Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, it's time 
for You Have 30 Seconds. And I hope you enjoyed this submission about someone who used their feet not to walk. I'm sure she did walk plenty, but she did other things with her feet too. Hi, my name is Isadora, and I'm going to talk about my namesake, Isadora Duncan. Isadora Duncan is considered the mother of modern dance. In the early 1900s, instead of becoming a ballerina, she danced with bare feet, wore a toga, and used flowing movements. Her original six students were called the Isadorables, and they toured all over Europe with her. Sadly, Isadora died when her scarf got caught in the spokes of the back wheel of her automobile and strangled her. Her last words were, Farewell, I go to glory. Without Isadora Duncan, dance would not be the same. Yeesh, that's a gruesome end for poor Isadora, but that was a great job by present day Isadora. Great work. Thank you so much for submitting. Um, and let that be a lesson to you kids. Keep your scarf inside the automobile at all times. If you have a, you have a, you have a, you have a 30 seconds, all you have to do is record it on a voice memo, like on a phone, and you can email it to me at hello at thepastandthecurious.com. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. Hello, yes, quiz time. It's now. Question number one. If someone could, how long do you think it would take a person to walk all the way around the globe nonstop? Obviously, oceans, other obstacles, and the need for sleep would make this impossible. But given that the average person walks 3 miles an hour and the circumference of the Earth is 25,000 miles, it would take someone roughly 247 days of walking nonstop to circle the globe. Okay, and here's question number two. If a pathway to walk around the globe were possible, someone trying to walk all the way around Earth nonstop might need to use a little somnambulation. What do you think the word means? Somnambulation. Well, if you've read any Edgar Allan Poe, the word might be familiar. It means to sleepwalk. See, in Latin, somna comes from somnus, to sleep. And ambulation is related to the word ambulare, which is to walk. You might recall the words funambulation and circumambulation from previous episodes. Funambulate means to tightrope walk, and circumambulate means to walk all the way around something. Like circumambulate the globe. What other ways can you ambulate? Yeah, cool. Alright, question number three. How many miles of walking is the average tennis shoe good for? In other words, how many miles can you walk in a shoe before it wears out, or you should replace it? You can expect, on average, 500 miles out of a good tennis shoe. They wear out with the impact of walking, both from your body and the ground. So, if you were going to circumambulate the globe, you'd need more than a few pairs of shoes to go along with you. Sometimes people take a long time to make a decision. When you've got a choice to make, it's good to weigh your options. Consider the outcomes. Make sure you're being careful. Many times this works out well, but there's no guarantee. Sometimes people might take too long to make a decision. Maybe you can't make up your mind between which of two puppies to adopt. And when you finally do, you find out that they're both already in new homes. Sad. 
other times, people make decisions almost without thinking. Our instincts are often dependable and can help us make the right choice in the blink of an eye. Trust your gut, as they say. These quick decisions can get us into trouble, though, as it did for one man in 1925. He should not have trusted his gut, whether by careful deliberation or by immediate instinct. Hopefully, you'll never make a decision quite like his. In the winter of 1924 and 1925, an unfamiliar man stood out to many as he slowly walked southward on the eastern shore of Virginia. This part of the state is separated by the rest of the mainland by the Chesapeake Bay, and to the east is the Atlantic Ocean. So the man walking had to have come from, or at least passed through, Maryland. Wherever he started, it was a long journey to make on foot, especially in the winter weather of coastal Virginia. There aren't a ton of people on the peninsula. Despite the frigid winter temperatures, several people noticed this fellow stopping to get a close look at many of the plants he noticed, which happened to be showing some signs of life. It would seem that he was fascinated by nature. Among the people spread out in small towns and outposts, word passed about this man because everyone found him strange. Anyone who tried to talk with him was met with an earful of unfamiliar sounds. He did not speak English, which in and of itself was not unusual. What was unusual is that when he spoke, it sounded like nothing anyone had ever heard before. Completely unfamiliar. It bore no resemblance to any language that had graced the ears of any of the Virginians. It was so foreign, in fact, that many people thought he was just uttering nonsense. It went on for weeks as he wandered in a southerly direction. Sometimes he'd be able to communicate with people with some simple gestures. This is how he got some food, or how he wound up sleeping in the occasional barn or home before he set out again. As confused as the people he encountered may have been, it's safe to say that they were not as confused as this gray-haired man. He didn't know how to communicate, where he was, where he was going, or how to do anything about it. The only thing he could do was keep walking. Luckily, somewhere around the town of Cape Charles, Virginia, someone tried to help. They took the man miles farther to the south, to the mainland, to Norfolk, Virginia. Unfortunately, there were vagrancy laws in many places, and Virginia was one of these. Vagrancy laws essentially made it illegal to not be employed, not have a home, truthfully, just be hanging around somewhere where no one knew you. The laws were vague on purpose. This allowed authorities to arrest anyone that they didn't like being around. After authorities in Norfolk tried talking with him, they too were left confused and unable to understand anything about him. So they put the strange man in jail. Eventually, a religious organization who ran a shelter called the Union Mission tried to help. They took the man from jail to a shelter that the church owned and operated. One man there, Dr. Kratzig, became determined to figure out who he was and where he had come from. This was all done with the hope of helping him get back to his homeland, wherever that might be. There was no telling where he came from, but it was pretty likely that he wanted to return. 
but how do you find the home of a man who speaks a language that no one knows, and who has no other way of meaningful communication? Well, you look to the new technology of the day, and the new technology of 1925 was radio. In 1920, the first commercial radio station went on the air in the United States. It was based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Three years later, the first radio station began broadcasting in Virginia. This was WTAR in Norfolk. And it was to the studio of WTAR that Dr. Kratzig took the mystery man. Of course, with the radio being so new, not very many people even had radios in their homes. Nevertheless, this was still the best plan that anyone had come up with yet. For if you want someone to recognize the unfamiliar language of a gray-haired, flower-loving mystery man who has just walked his way across a state or two in the cold month of January, you want as many people to hear that confounding voice as possible. So they took him to the studio, placed him in front of a microphone, and gestured for him to speak. And he spoke. And... Nothing happened. Just as with everyone else he encountered in person around Virginia before this, no one listening at home recognized his language either. So with no initial success, the mystery man and Dr. Kratzig left the studio and headed back to Union Mission. Arriving too late to the exotic and nameless language demonstration was a curious young man named Frederick Falden. Frederick was a waiter in a nearby restaurant and wanted to hear the man for himself. He wasn't alone. Many people came for the exciting and enigmatic scene. Maybe there was a chance that they'd be able to help, they figured. No one could, though. But one of the audience members recognized Frederick, who was an immigrant himself. And when he arrived, he told him that he might be able to help. So Frederick followed the men to the Union Mission. Meeting this mystery man wasn't an aha moment. It took a few minutes for his ears to adjust. Frederick was from the southern part of Finland, and his mother had been Swedish, so he knew versions of both languages. It was soon discovered that Mr. Mystery was from the northernmost part of Finland, an area known as Lapland. He spoke an entirely different dialect than Frederick, but despite this, they were soon able to communicate with general ease. Surely, the load that this man had been carrying must have lightened. It had certainly been difficult for him to be around so many people for so long without truly being able to communicate. Frederick didn't waste any time. He got right to the questions that everyone wanted to know. Who are you? Where are you from? How did you get here? Pretty quickly, a new picture of Mr. Mystery began to emerge. He was from a Finnish town called Oksakula, which curiously is how he introduced himself by name. Oksakula from Oksakula. And Oksakula from Oksakula was a naturalist. He studied plants and animals in his native Lapland and the rest of Finland. He had published several books on the subject, which helped him earn most of his income. So walking across Virginia was nothing to him, but how did he get there? At some point in 1924, he had walked through all of Finland to visit Leningrad, or today's St. Petersburg, in Russia. It seems he wanted to sell his books there, but the city he found was in turmoil, because that same year, Russia's leader, Vladimir Lenin, 
had died, and there was a struggle for power. In this environment, no one was really interested in buying some books about plants and birds from Finland. It was also probably dangerous to be there. So, when Oxakula met some sailors who happened to be talking about their next journey to America and Asia, he asked about the natural wonders that they had seen in their previous journeys. And he liked their answers. With little apparent forethought, he asked to join them. Now, you might think someone who signed up for a multinational months-long sea voyage on the spot might have had some experience on board a ship. Would you be right? You'd be worse than right, you'd be wrong. Oxakula had never been to sea, and once he was there, he was miserable and filled with regret. Annoyed by the man, the sailors grew to resent him pretty quickly. It sounds like it was a bad time for everyone. When they finally reached a port in America, he disembarked with some crew members to walk around on American soil. It might have been Baltimore, or maybe Philadelphia, he wasn't sure. In any case, he got separated and then he got lost. And then the boat left without him, heading off to Asia, and leaving him stranded in a foreign land filled with people who had no idea what he was saying. In retrospect, Oxakula probably would say it was a bad decision to get on that boat. Plus, his wife was probably worried. Yes, he had a wife in Lapland who had absolutely no idea where her husband was. His grown children, who lived in Italy and Russia, did not either. Oxakula thought the journey would be quick and that he could easily catch a ship back to Russia after a few short weeks of looking at the nature that America had to offer. It was, of course, not that easy. Dr. Kratzig at the Union Mission made it his own personal mission to get Oxakula back home. But this was a difficult task for a few reasons. First, he was slow to communicate with the Finnish embassy. And while he waited, Oxakula got restless. According to a few sources covering his time in America, he disappeared one day while hiking. Dr. Kratzig figured he got lost again. And since he was adept at walking, he just walked and walked. In October, 10 months after he showed up in Virginia, he reappeared in a hospital in Baltimore. From there, we don't know what happened. Most likely, Dr. Kratzig was able to make the arrangements to get Oxakula back overseas. But I'm not really sure. In any case, it's a pretty unusual story and can certainly serve as a lesson to travelers. It's good to have a plan. It's good to be prepared. And it's really, really, really important to tell someone where you're going. Hello, thanks for listening to my dad's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you for listening very much. And thank you to my son for that cameo appearance uh yes so thank you very much this was a fun episode remember there's a couple things to look forward to first and foremost part two is coming up in just like less than two weeks probably a week maybe a little bit more i don't know but it's gonna be two more stories about walking i wonder if you can figure out what they'll be also october 21st in lexington kentucky i will be at the kentucky book fair love to see ya if you're in the area 
Okay, so I have Patreon people to thank and birthdays and stuff. So first off, Charles Morin in Utah. Hello to you. I'm so glad that you are out there. Uh, I, you're the first Patreon person from Utah, as far as I know, and that's super, super awesome. We go coast to coast and international. So thanks for being a part of the team, dude. Um, also, CJ, thank you for your support. If I need to thank someone else, CJ, uh, you let me know. If I just need to thank you, then thank you, CJ. Appreciate it. Okay, um, and also I had two really, really, really sweet birthday shout-outs. Um, and they're both from siblings, and I, what a cool thing. So Alma, uh, Alma Gucci of Milwaukee says that it was her brother Jasper's birthday on the 24th. And that Jasper is a big fan of the show. So happy birthday, Jasper. Yeah. I'm so glad that you are out there and enjoy the show. And I hope you had a happy birthday. Likewise, someone named Jackson Clark told me that his brother, Henry, had a birthday this month too, on the 11th, I believe. So happy late birthday to you, Henry. Thank you for listening. Thank you all for sending messages and and just being a part of uh, the past and the curious team, right? So thank you so much. Happy birthday to you. Uh, and also, good job, Jackson and Alma. Like, that's some good siblinging, if that's a word. Uh, and to you, everyone else, thank you for listening. I will talk to you very, very soon. And until then, make sure that you have clean underwear on, right? Very funny. What did you say? Very funny.